of the center, check this out, not past tense, that I am. <laughs> because I'm aware of the center that I am. Oh man, I can't express how grateful I am for the great work that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. I'm not even worried about you, what he did for me. Yeah, what he did for me, a sinner named Jamel Armstrong, I am so grateful for him. Amen. Amen. Bless his name. Bless his name. Amen. Hallelujah. I ask if you would, just join with me for a quick moment of prayer. Quick moment of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we love you. God, I am overwhelmed that thousand years ago, you sacrificed yourself so that each of us could have life just for me. Just for me, God, you allowed yourself to be mocked. And for me, you allowed them to place a cruel crown of thorns upon your head, Lord, for me. God, you took the lashes all over your body. For me, God, you allowed them to spat in your face, God, for me. You carried that old rugged cross, Lord, for me. You walked it up to that hill called Golgotha, God, and for me, you allowed yourself to hang there, to bleed and die. <laughs> but God, just for me, three days later, they found an empty tomb where your dead body once lied. And because of that, God, because you rose from the grave, we have life. And on this day, God, we celebrate, commemorate that great moment in time, recognizing how great your love is. Speak now, Jesus. May that story never grow old. May we never forget how great that sacrifice. May we never forget, Lord, the lengths to which you went through for us. God, may we move forward. Walking in that victory that you held over sin's power. In the life, Lord, that you desire for us to live. For this preaching moment now, speak Jesus, I pray. And it's in your name we do humbly pray. Amen. 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 Well, we are starting a new series. Um, the series is entitled, When God Does It Make Sense. Uh, when God Does It Make Sense. I I've noticed that it is assumed by many who are non-believers that those of us who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, that we do so blindly. Uh, as if we never have questions. And um, I remember just a few months back, I was at the airport and, and, and hopped a flight somewhere and uh, sat next to a guy and I pulled out a, a book. We had been having a little small talk um, and I pulled out a book to begin reading on the flight and um, 
somehow in the conversation, uh, we got to what, uh, what do we do for a living. Now, let me preface this with, I typically don't like to, when early in conversations, tell people what I do for a living. Uh, because oftentimes, when people find out that I'm a minister, uh, what they do is one of two things. The first thing they do is they begin to confess uh, how the last time they went to church. And, um, and I hear that all the time. Oh, uh, I'm, they apologize, like I, I missed them or something. And I typically say, hey, man, listen, I, I'm not your judge. Like, uh, I wish that you would go to church. And if you're in Louisville, I hope that you come to my church. But, you know, there's no need to confess to me. Uh, the second thing is, oftentimes, they then begin uh, uh, to tell me their issues that they have with Christianity. This guy that I sat next to on the flight, this was his posture this day. He began to tell me about the issues that he have, has with our faith. Uh, he says that there are gaps in it. There are things that he just doesn't understand. There, there are problems, holes that he can't feel, issues that he has. And he can't find himself uh, believing in something that he doesn't have all the answers for. And uh, if you know me at all, you know probably what I did next. I didn't argue or debate with the guy. I simply burst out into tears laughing. I just, I laughed uncontrollably, so much so that the guy, himself began to look at me and laugh as well. And uh, when he could finally gather him, he simply asked me the question, what's so funny? And I simply said, brother, if you only knew that most of us, probably all of us who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ have the same issues that you do. And we don't profess to believe and follow Jesus because we have all the answers. The reality is most of us follow Jesus because we don't have all the answers. Yeah, that's what we want to deal with for this series. We're going to, we're going to talk about some issues within our faith, some things that are hot topic, controversial issues that we deal with and, and see that hopefully we can provide you with some answers or at least a point a focus, our direction to deal with some of these controversial things. For instance, we'll talk about, is Jesus the only way? That's a, that's a pretty hot topic, man, that we have all the time, especially in this intelligent culture that we live in. Also, what about suffering in our world? What about sin and suffering? What is it with evil? And then we'll talk about why is the church so important? Why, why is the church? You hear it all the time. It ain't nothing but a whole bunch of hypocrites, and y'all just get in there and sing to yourselves and all that. Typically, my response to that is, that's true. We we are. I'm the biggest hypocrite. Thank you. Um, happy to be here still, you know. And uh, so we'll be dealing with that. But today, since it is Resurrection Sunday, the day that we celebrate, commemorate, the day that our Jesus died. Check this out. This, this was not television death. <laughs> that he died. And three days later, that man who was once dead rose from the grave. We'll talk about that today. And so if you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible app, open it up to the, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I, I'm going to do two things uh, within this. Uh, we're, we're first going to deal with uh, did the resurrection actually happen, okay? So I, I'm going to call a few witnesses to the stand, and, and we're, going to, we're going to see if this is actual historical fact. We're going to do that first, and then the second thing we're going to talk about is what does this mean to you and I, all right? 
So you have to bear with me the first half because I've, I've got to do some interviewing. I've got to, you know, I've got to bring some witnesses to the stand, and, and, and I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to ask some questions of them so we can see if this is actual historical fact, and then what does it mean? So first off, let's, let's hear from our call to the stand. Uh, we know him as Paul, the Apostle Paul. We'll, we'll hear from Paul here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 12 through 22. Listen to what he says right here. Paul says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. Verse 16, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has been begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. First thing we see is we're going to bring Paul and also the skeptical Corinthian church. Notice Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here. Uh, and if you don't know anything about the Corinthian church, please know that this is one of the most gifted and intellectual congregations that Paul had the privilege and honor of planting and leading during this day and age. If you remember in 1 Corinthians, you call 1 Corinthians is like the spanking. They're getting in trouble because there are a lot of things that they were doing that just weren't reflective of what the gospel compelled us to do as a church and so Paul had to redirect them on a number of su uh, subjects and here he closes out the book talking about their issue with the resurrection of the dead. So Paul is he's telling them he says listen I know that you are in intelligent and gifted kind of like our congregation. It's a lot of intelligence here. One of the reasons I love you all so much, or kind of like the college campus that uh, we sit adjacent to, anytime intelligence is in any environment, skepticism abounds. Yeah. That's just natural because you can think, you can ask critical questions, and so you, you and that's a good thing. We, you know, many of us, if you were like me, you were taught that you shouldn't question God. I, I don't know about that theology. I believe that you should. I believe oftentimes you won't get any answers if you don't question something. In fact, Scripture, God even says a few times in Scripture, come, let us reason together. God wants to know from you. He wants to hear what you are dealing with. Here's what I believe. I believe if there was ever someone who the Corinthian church needed to have as a leader, it would be the Apostle Paul. You know him as the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but before he was the Apostle Paul in his glory, you got to recognize his story. 
The story of Paul, a man who was originally known as Saul, Luke writes in the book of Acts that Saul went around trying to destroy the church. He had a mission. He had a belief. His mission and belief was those who were followers and preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ were criminals and they deserved to die. It was upon this mission, this belief that Paul had, Saul, that he was in route to continue to destroy the church that Paul had an encounter himself with the resurrected Jesus. And from that moment on, from the time that he met the resurrected Jesus, this skeptic, this intellectual man, please note Saul was a Pharisee. He was one of the smartest and brilliant religious minds of his day. Something happened that changed his attitude about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the resurrected Jesus, because he encountered him for himself. Here's something I always say to people. I don't know about your testimony, but I have my own. And I meet a lot of skeptics, and I love atheists. I love people who struggle to believe because they help my faith get stronger. What, what I've been telling those that I encounter is you can give me all the facts that you want, but the one thing that you can't take away is my personal testimony. I've got an experience. I've experienced some things about my God that cannot be attributed to anything else but the presence of God in my life that I don't care what you point out. I don't care what evidence, what didactic material you pull up. I believe because I've experienced him. Well, this becomes Paul's, Paul's story. But Paul, Paul teaches then, and, and earlier in this chapter, he teaches the Corinthian church the way that he was taught about Christ. It's this thing that we know it's called oral tradition. Say oral tradition. Yeah, whether or not you know or you're familiar with the oral tradition is something that we have uh, in, in a lot of our, even though we have a lot of things written today, oral tradition is how we've learned a lot of things. I'm, I'm going to prove my point to you. Um, most of you, if you're a parent or if you have small kids in your family, you taught them something very important through oral tradition. Uh, I, I'm going to help you out. It, it simply says A, B, C. Okay, I was going to say. I just called you smart, and y'all went blank on the ABCs. I was to go back to rudimentary Christianity, because clearly we need to. Children's church have a children's church. All right. Uh, okay, here, let me see if y'all can catch this one then. Uh, in 1492, yeah, yeah, that's called oral tradition. Oral tradition is a way, it's something that we do. It was created because of the need to easily pass along important info. And so what Paul does earlier in this chapter, he shares through wit written word some of the oral tradition that he was taught after he encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. Let's read it in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 3. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Listen to what he says. It's the oral tradition. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. 
This was the tradition that wasn't only passed to Paul. This was passed up many of the believers in that day because they didn't have the written material that we have. And so in order to pass along these truths, what they would do is they would come up with some type of oral narrative for them to share, to pass along from mother to daughter, from father to son, from generation to generation so that the people around would know about the existence of the one that we call Jesus, who is the Christ, who died, who was buried, and who was rose on the third day, as Paul would say, as the scriptures said. Now here's the thing, the oral tradition that was passed on to Paul and to others, there are some additional, or is some additional skepticism with it. Can I give you a couple of things and we'll move on? There are some who say that the oral traditions are simply embellishments, which is simply to say this, that legend has crept into the Christian tradition before it was e uh, even written. And they liken it to the telephone game. Do you remember the te telephone game as a kid? Like if we were to start over here, if I were to whisper something in Justin's ear and he whispers to Donna and it would just go all the way around the room and then eventually when you get over to Sean over here, you get something completely different. What the skeptics say is that oral tradition is flawed because legend can creep in because there's no way that the story can remain the same from Justin to Sean because, yeah, legend creeps into it. But also, not only is there embellishments, there's also this thing that's called a non-historical literary style. And if you're familiar with something, your guys are intelligent, so if you're familiar with like Aesop's fables, I don't know if you remember Aesop's fables, but Aesop, in order to communicate some special truths about the culture of that day, he used animals, animals to, to communicate or to talk. Now, what they say is that uh, many people began to believe that animals actually spoke because of Aesop, but Aesop was not trying to tell people that animals spoke. He was trying to use the temperament or the attitude of animals to communicate something about the people of that day. What the skeptics say to a non-historical literary style is this. They say that what is happening is it's not that they were actually trying to say that Jesus rose from the dead. What they were trying to say is because he was such a great man with great teachings that even though he died, his teachings will live on forever. Yeah, yeah, but so non-historical literary style. And then there's also the, the myths and other religions. And there are some who have argued, maybe you've encountered them, that, well, you know, there are many other faith traditions who believe that they have a God who rose from the grave. Let me blow your mind real quick. I nerded out over this, by the way. I mean, I had a good time prepping for this. Uh, here, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Did you not know that the person who started this narrative about myths and other religions was actually a Christian himself? Yeah, a guy by the name of Justin Martyr in the second century because the Roman government was about to begin to persecute the church. So in order to prevent them from persecuting the, the church, Justin began to teach the people that this are the Roman officials, that this was not the only religion who believed in a resurrected God so that they would take it easy on Jesus. But here's the one thing within that time period. There is only one God. There is only one deity before Christ who had a story about resurrection and that's Osiris the Egyptian god and this story is a little bit funky his body was cut up into many pieces and it's told that his mom brought them all back together and he rose up it's kind of you know that's that's weird like you know Jesus 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 might have been beat up but he wasn't cut up that's that's kind of strange and so th these are some of the arguments here right these, these are some of the, the, the primary the three major arguments that suggest that the old tradition 
is, uh, is flawed. But there's one element within the oral tradition, check this out, that 75% of non-believing historians, they can't deny. There's one fact, one fact, not believers, not seminary uh, professors, non-believing historians, there's one fact that they cannot deny. 75%, three out of four. Can y'all believe that? Y'all ready for me to tell y'all? One, one fact. There's one thing that they cannot deny, the empty tomb. 75% of historians cannot deny they believe the empty tomb of Jesus Christ to be a historical fact. We know this to be true even within scripture because what happened on the night, the day that it was discovered that the tomb was empty, if you remember, Matthew records that the Roman soldiers went to the Jewish officials and they told them about the empty tomb. So in order to change the narrative, what, he told, what they told them to do, they paid them, gave them money, then to go and share with the people that the disciples stole Jesus' body. The problem was Jesus' body was never recovered. There's, there's been all types of, of tombs that's been discovered. They've done as much as they can to try to figure out if it's there. And the reality is the tomb is still empty. Jesus' body has never been discovered. But also, check this out. If I were on a mission to tell a lie, and if I wanted to communicate something, and I wanted to do so with great credibility, I'd make sure that I bring the right people to the table, right? Like, if, if I'm going to lie, I'm going to have the right, the right people to do so. So, I, 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 listen, um, there, you know, two pastors here, uh, I'm the bad one, okay? Like, if you want to get in trouble, I'm the dude that you hang with. Because, you know, I, I got sanctification. I love Jesus, but I'm still going through the sanctification process. There's some things that I just struggle with. And uh, I'm, I'm transparent about it. Like, you know, I got attitude, anger issues, all, all those things. That's me. Matt's the nice one. He's the good guy. So if you want to get in trouble, kick it with me. If you want to stay holy, hang with Matt. All right? All right, check this out. If, if I am trying to communicate something where if I'm about to get in trouble, let's say, for instance, if, if I go out and if, if we hang out late, and uh, if I'm with a group of friends and we're hanging out, I just stayed out way too late, I got certain friends, I'm not going to tell my wife I hung with George. I'm not. Just, 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 it ain't, that ain't a good credible witness right there. George, she'll say, y'all was up to no good. I just, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I promise I wouldn't. Uh, I, I, but I would tell my wife I was hanging with Matt. And if I told my wife I was hanging with Matt, my wife would be like, oh, okay, well, everything's fine. Everything's fine because you were with Matt. If the disciples were intending to trick people, to pull the wool over their eyes, the last group of people that they would share with, that they discovered the empty tomb, would be Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the other group of women, Joanna, who were with them. The last people, y'all, that they would have shared, told us about the empty tomb, would be the women. Let me prove my point. There, there's this writing from the Jewish Talmud. Listen to what it says about a woman's testimony. Any evidence which a woman gives is not valid to offer. Also, they are not valid to offer. Ain't that cold-blooded? This is equivalent to saying that one who is rabbinically accounted as a robber is qualified to give the same evidence as a woman. Basically, they're saying anything coming from a woman as a testimony is the equivalent of listening to a liar and a thief. That's how they view the words of women. So if I am trying to trick people, 
the last person that I'm going to go to the court and tell them this is who told me about this is going to be some women because their words are not credible. But there's something special about this story. That it didn't matter about cultural conventions. It didn't matter about what people believed. They believed this to be truth and evidence that they shared everything they could to announce and proclaim that the tomb was empty and that Jesus had rose from the grave. But also, man, it was pretty cool, man. They, they, the, the, the disciples didn't break, believe themselves. And so when they went back and told them because the disciples, the Bible tells us, considered their testimony to be nonsense. Yeah, in order to prove, they believed it to be nonsense. And so they sent Peter and John to the tomb to see for themselves. And when Peter and John got to the tomb, what they found is that Jesus that woke up from the grave, he folded his clothes and stole away. He was, he was cool. He, he cleaned up the place, prepared it for the next dead body that's going to remain there. But Jesus figured, hey, I got to go from here. The empty tomb, man. Historically, the empty tomb is something that helps us to believe. And the empty tomb, by the way, has a message for us. Did you know that? Yeah, the empty tomb to science and philosophy, it says, hey, explain this event. It's a history, the empty tomb says, repeat this event. To time, it says, blot out this event. And to those who have faith in Jesus Christ, it says, believe this event. The empty tomb says something to us. It calls us to be witnesses of his as a historical fact. Yeah, but I'm almost finished with my witnesses. I got one more witness to share, and then I'll give you some practical application. We'll rejoice and we'll leave from here. There's one more person I'd like to talk about. Let's, let's, let's read the oral tradition one more time, and, and I'd like to call somebody to the stand. First, listen to verses 3 through 8 again. I pass on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers. Most of him are soon are, are, are still alive, though. Seven. Verse seven. Then he was seen by James. Let's just stop there. Then he was seen by James. There's this sibling situation that we got to deal with. I'm not talking about James, the brother of John. I'm talking about James, who wrote the book of James, who happens to be the biological brother of Jesus Christ. Did y'all know that Jesus had a brother? Yeah. In fact, he had a few brothers and a couple of sisters. Biologically, Mary had other babies. The biological brother of Jesus Christ. Check this out, man. My sister, I've got a sister, and she's my younger sister like Jesus has younger siblings. If I would have come home telling my baby sister that I am God in the flesh, you would not see me today. I would be committed and thrown in jail. Yeah, I, I, I would be crazy. I don't know about anybody else. What if your sibling, what if your brother, your sister came home to you telling you that they are the Messiah? Yeah, you, you think they were back crazy, right? Yeah, there's something wrong with them. But check this out. It's true in the Bible as well. Here's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible because the Bible does not just do a job of trying to paint a pretty picture to convince people to believe and think like it wants you to. What it does is it tells a whole story. So I'm saying that I wouldn't believe, but also the Bible tells us that James originally didn't believe. Read it in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 5. Listen to what he says. For even his brothers didn't believe him. Even his brothers didn't believe him. So something happened. 
from early in the ministry of Jesus Christ that his very own brothers did not believe him to be the Messiah to now after the resurrection of Jesus Christ you'll discover in the book of Acts in chapter 1 as they were in the upper room waiting on the Holy Spirit to come you'll see that the disciples were there but there was also Mary the mother of Jesus and James. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and James were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. What happened that this sibling who did not believe in his big brother to be the Messiah, then to have an experience, and then to be in the room waiting the instructions, but also, listen, James says and testifies for himself. He says, James, I am a servant of God and my Lord Christ Jesus. James had a conversion. Something happened that this one who has, had lived with Jesus, grew up with Jesus, spent time with Jesus, his story changed. Then he became a follower of Jesus. James was like Paul. He was once a skeptic. Once you have a personal experience, people can't change your story. Something happened. Just like Paul, James experienced Christ and all of this wonder. James became such a leader of the church that whenever they had issues about those who were converted, converted from Judaism to Christianity, they brought them before James because they figured James could be the one who could best help them to get things in order. There was something special that happened to Paul, to the Corinthian church, the empty tomb, to James, the brother of Jesus Christ, that it changed their story and their lives forever. Well, no, there was quite a bit. And, and listen, if you have more questions, uh, I, my, my email address, come see me after worship. I, I'll be happy to sit in dialogue with you about more of this, but I can't stay up here forever. Yay. <laughs> so in order... Then to recognize what this means to us, listen to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In 2009, man, we, we saw something real crazy happen. We saw this guy by the name of Bernard Lawrence Madoff. We know him as Bernie. Bernie ran this thing that's called a Ponzi scheme, and here's what the Ponzi scheme did. The Ponzi scheme had people give Bernie their resources, their livelihood, to invest it and into something that ultimately didn't exist in hopes that they'd be prepared for their life at a retirement. What we discovered is that for more than 30 years, Bernie had set up a narrative, an untrue story for people to invest in something that didn't exist, and they would be pretty bad off when the retirement came. And for that reason, he's spending the next 150, well, he ain't going to last that long, he's too old. He was sentenced to 150 years in prison because of that story. I, I think about that when I think about what Paul is saying, that if Christ is not raised and your faith is useless and you are still in your sins, it is like, man, we have spent the entirety of our lives or our conversion trying to live into something that ultimately is never going to pay off, that ultimately does not exist, and we're longing for the days to experience the reality of our belief, of the hope that we have, and to recognize that I've spent my entire life living into something that does not exist. It's not a reality. It's actually a lie. Paul is saying, if that's the case, it is useless. It doesn't matter at all. You are still in your sins. Those who have died, they are still lost. That it is not a reality. And as a matter of fact, in verse 19, Paul says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, 
we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Imagine, man, to, to live into something that doesn't matter, that doesn't exist. If we do not believe in Jesus Christ as our resurrected king, then we are here for no reason whatsoever. We've devoted our lives. Some of you have spent your days as missionaries, and we've been singing, and we just had a high praise moment. None of that matters. If, if he did not resurrect, if he did not get up from the grave, everything that we've done today for the last hour or whatever does not matter at all. We're just entertaining ourselves and having an emotional response to something that doesn't exist. We are victims of the greatest Ponzi scheme history has ever recorded. And Paul says, if that's the case, man, those of you, you Christians, are to be pitied more than anyone else in the world. Yeah, I can imagine, man, Paul, Paul reminiscing about his own story. And he's thinking about the things that he's gone through. And I, I, I think Paul was channeling certain energy in there. That he said, man, if Christ didn't exist, man, do you know how many times I've been to prison? And do you know how many times I've suffered and been left for dead? And, and do you know that I've been shipwrecked and that I've been jumped by thugs? Do you know what I've gone through for this gospel only to hear you talk about that our Jesus did not raise from the grave? I wonder if anybody else has that same story. Do you know the money that I've turned down? Do, do you know the friends and family members that I lost? Do you know the decisions that I made that do not seem like they benefit me for my good? Do you know what I've experienced, the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the distance, the abandonment that I've experienced in this world? Do you not know what I've gone through for you to then tell me that my Jesus did not raise from the grave? It's nonsense if I've ever heard it. Anything else in my life? Hope saints would say, man, I, I, I've been lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated, buked, and scorned, but as long as I've got King Jesus, I don't need anybody else. It has to be true. It has to be true. I heard a guy, man, when I was prepping for the message, somehow was ear hustling and heard his conversation, and he was sharing with a guy, he says, this world that we live in is nothing but a culmination of what our senses perceive. And the things that our senses don't, don't perceive don't exist. And in my mind, I channeled Jaden Arnwine, and I said, bull shark. <laughs> I said it out loud, too. <laughs> I refuse to believe that my grandfather died for a gospel story that's not true. I refuse to believe that I devote my entire life, every breath that I breathe, for something that does not and is not true. For not. I refuse to believe that we've placed our hope in a story that's untrue. I refuse to believe period. And so finally, Paul says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Real simple here. When Adam sinned through his bloodline, we all became sinners. But the sin virus was then passed on from generation to generation. But when Jesus came for you and I and led a sinless life for you and I, when he suffered, bled, and died for you and I, he did so not that he would be resurrected himself, but so that you and I could be resurrected as well. There's something in that story that you've got to recognize the power of the narrative that Jesus did this for us. That they did not kill Jesus. 
Jesus died for us. He laid down his life. And there's a difference between somebody taking a life and laying down a life. You do, you know there's a difference between something being laid down and taking? Let, let, let me demonstrate. George, take that from me. Snatch it. Snatch it. That, that, George took that from me. There's a difference, though. Come here, George. If, if, if they took his life, it would have happened just as George did. Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down for them. What Jesus is saying is, the power is not in them. Recognize that the power is me. We know that because in Matthew 28, Jesus says, if I were to call on my father and ask him to bring 12 legions of angels, he could do so. He laid down his life so that you and I would be resurrected as well. Thank you, sir. So that we could live, so that we could have life. So that we would recognize that there's a story greater than anything else that's ever been told. That Jesus came, as the scriptures said, as Paul would say. That he bled and died, as the scriptures said. And that he rose from the grave on the third day, as the scriptures said. That he was seen by Peter first, and then the rest of the apostles, just as the scriptures said. And that he was seen by another 500. And then he was seen by James, and last of all, by me, as if I was born of the latest. That oral tradition, man, has a richness in it. The reason why we woke up this morning is for no other reason to celebrate how great our God is. And the sacrifice that he did for you and I, our God is great and greatly to be praised. For no other reason, if God doesn't do another thing for the remainder of our days, him dying on Calvary's cross and giving up for our sins is enough. Jesus came, bled and died, rose to let you know that you can live, that you will live. And all you've got to do is believe that story. Believe that story. And um, Paul says, those who died in Christ were forever lost. If the resurrection isn't real, well, because it is real, you're forever found. And you'll be forever found in him. Yeah. So we'll take a few minutes and just remember his great resurrection. If I can have my my officers, the men, your tables.